Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we inspire you to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, Certified Life Coach and Grief Specialist. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Episode 76, A Mother's Walk with Grief with Shalise Stevens. I am so excited for you to hear this interview with Shalise. I, you could not see me. You're not going to be able to see me as you're listening to this, but if you could see me, you would see me nodding my head, head continuously because so much of what she said resonated with me greatly. I felt her words and I felt the truth of the things that she shares that, that journey that we take to the depths of the depths of darkness and grief and that awakening that we experience on the other side of that when we're willing to open our hearts to the possibilities. I'm just really, really grateful to Shalice for doing this interview and looking forward to you hearing it and letting us know what you think. Here's a little more about Shalice. Shalise Stevens faced a horrific tragedy in June of 2004 when she lost her four-year-old son in a water park drowning accident and has found a way to heal through writing and helping others. Her book, entitled Finding 40, A Mother's Walk with Grief, will be available on Amazon soon. In the interview, she mentions that this will be available in May. Her healing journey has consisted of helping others along the way, not only grieving losses of their own, but also fighting for lives not yet taken through her nonprofit organization, Rainy Days Foundation, which you're going to hear more about in a minute. She celebrates others through her Coffee Talk Tuesday podcast, where she interviews people making a difference in the community. Shalise is also blessed with two more beautiful children that she is constantly creating memories with and making sure she documents each moment. She is a light to so many with her big heart, infectious laugh, and passion for living her life today. For she knows that tomorrow is never a guarantee. You can find her at www.shalisetalks.com and www.rainydaysfoundation.com. And all of that will be in the show notes. Here's the interview. I am so excited to have Shalise Stevens with me today to talk about her story and how she has rebuilt her life. Like this is what it's all about, right? You know, we're yeah. all, we're, we all struggle. We all have our difficulties and we all have our losses. And it's just that hope that even if we're dealing with a hard thing, right, this very moment, this hope that there's, there's a life afterwards. So Shalise, tell us a little bit about your story. Well, we can just jump right into the nitty gritty of it, I guess. <laughs> In June of 2004, June 15th of 2004, I took my son to a water park and we had this whole play date planned with our friends and he ended up drowning that day. And it was, you know, I mean, it's, it's that, that moment of your life where you can talk about it later, but it feels like it just happened as well. So uh, they rushed him into primary children's, and I wasn't able to go on the helicopter with him to be when he was life flighted. And, um, so my friend had to drive me there and 
when I walked in the doors, you know, the nurse came out and I, I felt this weird feeling that like everything was going to be okay. And then I said, he's okay. Right. And she said, no. And at that moment, like the world just turned and I collapsed and it, but I ended up, um, you know, going into the room and the doctor was like, she's like, I did everything I could. And it, it was just that moment. And I, I sat and I held him for the longest time. And, um, then, you know, you have to eventually walk out that door. And I remember thinking like, how do, how do I, how do I leave my baby? I actually said that to my friend that was with me. How do I leave my baby? And she's like, and she didn't really have an answer for me. Um, of course, <laughs> but she said, you don't have to until you're ready. And, and finally, you know, I kissed him on the forehead and I, he was four years old and I said, you better give God as much trouble as you've gave, given me. <laughs> and and I, I walked out and like, that's kind of the, the, obviously the very condensed version of that day. Yeah. But, um, you know, I remember thinking like, how do you, how do I move forward with this? How do I, how do I get to the next step? And um, I, cause at the time I was a single mom and his dad just barely came back into the picture and so like life was just kind of starting to like feel like it was smoothing out mm. and then all of a sudden everything changed and you know i had to figure out how to do everything again basically i mean it it's like when you're in that that zombie state i felt like i was a little girl again and i didn't i didn't know how to eat like i was literally being force fed at one point because i was like i'm not eating and i hadn't eaten in a while and so they're like you're going to eat <laughs> and you know i took a couple bites of whatever but um and then you know that night sleeping like you don't want to sleep because you my i was afraid that I would wake up and this wouldn't be a dream and everything would would come back to you know, I mean this was actually my life so as soon as I fell asleep I was like if I fall asleep that means eventually I'm going to wake up and I'm going to realize that this is real and this actually happened um and from there though it has been a long hard journey and also a beautiful journey and so many amazing things have come from it. And I, I know and I truly believe that he's there helping me from the other side in everything I do. So, um, yeah, he, like I said, he was, he was four years old. And this June, it will be 16 years since it happened. And there's days that it feels like, like I said, it just happened yesterday. And there's days that I'm like, wow, like I'm, you know, I'm doing really well. <laughs> So, yeah. What's your son's name? Caleb. Caleb. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I, I'm just trying to imagine myself in the car with you driving from the water park to the hospital. Like what was going on in your mind? I was thinking the whole way because he loved Spider-Man. And I remember saying to him, this is a very like this, this moment, because when it actually first happened, and I'm usually really good in traumatic situations. Like I've, I've worked with people for a long time and like, I'm really good in these things. But this day, like I was falling apart. I couldn't remember like his favorite songs. I couldn't remember anything to like sing to him or whatever to bring him comfort while they were doing CPR on him. And, and so when I got in the car and I'm driving with my friend, 
I kept saying, like, I feel him swinging from building to building with our car. I feel him here with me. And we just kind of talked about that while we went and, you know, just remembering to breathe and not panic because we didn't know what was happening at that point. I mean, it's a, from where I was to primary children's was a 20 minute drive. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, there was no time at this point involved. Like, I can't tell you a lot of time. Like, it just felt like forever. Like, everything just was like in slow motion and just, but yeah, that was that. I felt him swinging from building to building in his little Spider Man ways with us while we, while we passed. And that's all I can remember about the drive there. Mm. So, what did that look like the first few days? I just, you know, I appreciated you sharing that you forgot how to eat and and sleep was difficult where did you did you have did you have like work you needed to get back to or you know what did you do at that point to at that point I was going to school and Mm -hmm. um at the University of Utah and I was working um I worked as an in-home caregiver with special needs people and so that was that was my job at the time. Um, those first few days, as blurry as they are, they're also very clear because I, I remember telling my my friend Rose, um, who actually it's coming up on her one year date from when she passed away. She had she passed away last year of cancer, and so like that wow. it was it was so hard for me because she is such a huge part of my story and. Um, she was, she was kind of like a second parent because I, we lived in her basement. And so she was kind of that co-parent for me with him and, um, and my best friend, mom, big sister, she was a little older than me. So like she had so many roles in my life, you know? And so anyway, she was with me and I remember uh, she was with me the day that he, he passed. She's the one that drove me. She's the one that sat with me in the hospital and, um, she made all the calls for me because I couldn't, I'm like, I can't tell anybody. Like, how do I tell people that? my son just drowned. Like, how do I say that? And that he didn't make it. And how, like I, that mom guilt and the everything that, I mean, I was consumed with all of those raw, devastating emotions. And so that, that first day when I just sat there and held him, you know, I had some, my, my mom came and I had a couple of my closest friends come to the hospital and then leaving the hospital, I remember sitting on the grass and just kind of looking out and be like, okay, well now we have to go. And Rose was really good at like kind of keeping it together for me. And so we went back to her place and all my friends came over just to check on me and just be with me. And because I'm a, I'm a people person and I'm very like, I created my own family with them and they all knew him too. And so they came over and just, um, just to sit with me and be with me. And I knew we had to start planning funeral arrangements and things like that. And I was like, I can't think about that. Like, that's not what I want to think about. And Rose is like, we just have to like, you know, little steps, little steps. And I don't know that we necessarily talked about it that night. um, Because I do remember that first night was when it was the scariest to fall asleep. And I was shaking so bad that I had two of my friends, my, my, so the guy that um, was like his dad, when his dad wasn't around my kids, now his their dad Dave was with me and we weren't together at that time though but we were just super close and so he was holding me on one side and my other friend she was holding me on the other side just because I was shaking so bad I thought I was literally going to fall apart and I was like I can't sleep I can't sleep I can't sleep and so 
they finally got me to kind of calm down and, and fall asleep. But that's, that was the first, the first night, the second night, um, or the second day was kind of funeral arrangements and things like that. that that's more blurry because it's, you know, it's going through the motions basically. Um, I did do a performance actually, because we were in a play uh, Caleb and I were in this little jungle book play that we had an acting studio that um, we went to and they were putting on this play. And I believe it was actually the second night or the night after, cause his funeral was three days after he passed. So I believe it was that Thursday night I performed that night for him just to like be there. And I mean, there wasn't a lot of things I had to do. <laughs> so, um, and it was really cool. Um, to like be able to just do that. And I don't really know how I did it. I just know that I did it for him. And, and he was still like, I could feel him with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the night of his funeral, um, they performed again and I didn't perform that night, but they performed. And at the end they all did the, like he loved Spider-Man, like I said, so they all webbed the crowd <laughs> basically. Uh-huh. And then called me up gave me flowers and I just was sobbing and everything. So, and then after that, I got really drunk. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. And I kind of lost my mind. (laughs) So that was like the first. And then after that, I mean, I went into a really dark hole and I, I dropped out of school. I called my work and I said, you know, I, I can't come in for a while. Um, and they were really understanding and it was more of a client based thing. And it wasn't like a scheduled I mean, I had a schedule, but they had other people that could fill in for me because I'm like, I can't like, be, I, I can't take care of somebody else right now when I can't even take care of me. And that was my whole thing for a long time was um, my family always depended on me a lot for helping them through things. Mm-hmm. And um, I was always kind of the fixer and the, the strength. And uh, so I pushed them all away. And I only let a select few people into my world and um that's where I was for the first three months until I ended up going to Africa Africa. that's a whole other story (laughs) how long ago how how long was that when you went to Africa after the three months three months what in the world took you to Africa so my friend Rose her daughter was have she was in the Peace Corps and she got in a terrible accident and her daughter was about my age, a couple years younger. And I, she, she hit her head on a rock and they somehow got her, she was like in the middle of nowhere, Africa, somehow got her to, to the nearest um, hospital, which was like two hours away from where she was and stabilized her. Cause there happened to be a neurosurgeon in the hospital. I'm telling you, my son was with her this whole time. But yeah, they finally got her to South Africa and Rose is like, um, you know, she's like, I'm going to go. It's my daughter and everything, of course. And I said, well, I have nothing left here. I'm going with you. And at first she was really nervous about that. But we talked about it. I said, I said, I need to do something because right now I'm in this. I'm not doing anything healthy for myself. I'm not doing anything worthwhile. And if I don't get out of this hole and do something for somebody else and help you not ever have to feel the way I'm feeling right now mm-hmm. and bring her back home. I'm going. And so that convinced her and, and we went and we were there for 11 weeks and it was really the 
kickstart of my healing process along with understanding my purpose as well. So it's a, that's a huge point in my story. Yeah. Wow. So was her daughter okay? Did she end up healing? She did. I mean, there's still a few things that like she, if she doesn't do her extra, cause she was paralyzed on her, I believe right side. Um, and we ended up having every day we did uh, therapy because since we worked with brain injury people um, that we had a lot of skills on that level. And so we were like, you know, if you don't move it, you lose it. And she was just laying in a, in a bed in the ICU. So every day we would go and I would read, she loved Harry Potter. So I read like almost the entire Harry Potter series to her when she was there. Um, I would sing to her cause I love to perform and, and, and it was really like, and we would do exercises and, and it not only helped her, but in, in this hospital in the ICU, there were several patients. And I remember even one of the, the wives was like, every time you come in, his heart rate changes because he was in a coma, this guy, his heart rate changes and he can tell that you're here to bring some hope and light. And it was so huge. It was such a huge thing. But she ended up coming home. I came home a week before she did and then uh, Rose and and. Christina was her name, um, came back. She ended up healing almost fully. She ended up getting a master's degree. She's now married to a doctor and she has a, a little girl of her own. Wow. So, and wow. then she actually ended up taking care of her mom last year when, or two years ago when, when, um, well, I guess it was like two years ago is when the, the cancer started. So like that whole time she was able to take care of her her mom and pay it forward. And so that was, that was really, that was a really cool cycle. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful cycle there. When you said, when you said that about, you know, this patient being at that hospital and how I think you said it was his wife that said, every time you come in, it's like, he responds and and notices that like the hope and the light that you're bringing is that where your purpose kind of started to come to the surface for you yes i didn't realize it obviously then but looking back i absolutely know that 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 is definitely that was my calling that's where it really started to be like this is like time after time after time. And I've always been helping people. I've always helped people my whole life. Like that's just something that I've, I've done, but it's different now. And, and when I realized like, it's not just me here, it's my son. And no matter what you think spiritually or you believe in, like whether it's his energy that, that radiates through me, whether it's his angel and his spirit, however you want to put it for whatever beliefs you have, I know he's with me in some, in, in some realm and, and he comes through me and I get to, I get to share him with, with other people and that keeps him alive for me, you know? Yeah. That's really, really special. And I, I absolutely 100% agree with everything that you said. I just, you know, I, I have my own belief systems around that as well. And I just, I just know that, you know, when I talk about my kids, I talk about them in present tense because it's, they're not gone. They're just not here. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and with that too, I mean, I, I remember the day of his memorial and um, Dave was standing next to me and he's like, 
I said, I have to be strong. I can't cry because I had all these people. And um, it wasn't the, it was the day after his service. Cause my friends did this really awesome, beautiful memorial thing for him. And I'm like, I can't cry anymore. I've cried for like four days straight. Like I'm, I'm just going to be strong. And he's like, it's okay to cry because even though we know he's still here in that sense, he's gone physically and we're going to miss him. Mm -hmm. And that is like something I carry with me because I mean, I still have bad days. I still have days where I'll sob forever. And like, it's like, where did this come from? Like sometimes it's triggered by something like obvious. And then sometimes it's just like, after I throw one of my events for my foundation or whatever, and I see all these kids that I get to help and I go home and it's quiet and I'm alone. And I'm like, I remember why I'm doing it. I mean, I always remember why, but the fact that I don't get to celebrate with him physically is really hard. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, but then it's like, it, it's shorter. It's not like I stay in bed for days and days and days now. Like I, you know, actually, I don't know that I ever necessarily used to do that because I would do other self-destructive behaviors that would keep me going. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, um, but you know, I mean, I don't, I, and I'm also an action person, so I don't just curl up and I mean, I feel like it sometimes, but I don't. And, and that feeling of wanting to gets less and less and less. Mm -hmm. You have some remarkable friends. You know, you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned Rose and her, her, her comment, like on that very first day, little steps, like that is something that we can all remember every day. Yeah, absolutely. Little steps when we feel overwhelmed when, if, if, you know, a lot of the listeners that are listening right now are going through some hard things. And it's not about like knowing what the end point is. Right. It's about like taking just that teeniest, tiniest little next step. And, and we would always say like, all I need to do is get through this moment. Like it, I couldn't even say the day or the hour, like this very moment, this breath, I just need to take my next breath and mm -hmm. realize that, you know, that's, that's progress. Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely love that. And, and then for Dave to say, it's okay to cry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That is so important. Why do we yeah. tell ourselves that we should hold back on crying? You know? Right. Well, and I think part of that is because, I mean, I've, I've obviously have had a lot of healing experience and a lot of like different, like I dive down deep into those emotions and I feel them and I process them and I'm, I'm not, I don't fear those things. Or when I fear them, I, I figure it out and I still feel them. I still allow myself to feel them and heal from them. But it's um, just going through that process and, and recognizing that, that all of the feelings that we feel are okay. And, and that also, it's okay to smile. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to have fun. And it's okay to, to realize that life is still going to go on. And we don't know what's going to happen in our next moments or our next day. Like we don't know. So why not make the most of every moment, even if it's crying, you know, and feeling that. For sure. I love everything that you said there. <laughs> I, because, because if we, if we're, if we're pushing away the grief, we're also pushing away the happiness. Like we can't, yeah. we can't resist our emotions without resisting all of them. Yeah. And resisting exactly. our emotions is just not helpful or healing. Yeah. No. Yeah. And it just takes longer because eventually it's going to, going to come out, whether it's in a way that's violent, whether it's fear-based, whether whatever it is, the more, 
no matter how much we suppress an emotion and don't ever want to feel it, it's eventually going to come out and start to eat at us and destroy us. So why not feel it and let it heal us rather than destroy us? Yeah, for sure. Because, because grief, the, the purpose of grief is to, is to help us to heal, yeah, which seems exactly. counterintuitive, but it's the whole, it's the whole point of, of feeling what we're feeling yeah. so that we can start to heal. Exactly. So we can start to heal. And yeah. I, I love your, I love your self-awareness and, and, you know, you mentioned a couple of times that there was some self-destructive behavior in the middle and that, that happens so frequently, like to some extent or another, we all find ways to, to numb yeah, and to push aside because it is hard and it is heavy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I talk more in depth about it in my book and that's, and it's actually one of the scariest things about releasing this is, and I've started talking about it more, but a few years ago, especially like I had never talked about that dark, I'd call it the dark days. I never talk about that because it, the fear of judgment and the fear of, um, you know, other people looking at me in a different way or that I'm going to hurt somebody else by my choices for, for behaviors. Not, not that I was hurting them at the time, but just the fact that I even chose that path could potentially hurt somebody else to like, why would you do that? And it's like, that's the thing that that's so everyone's healing process is different and it's all individual individually based. And we, we're so quick to judge. And even when like the judgment comes from even, and I, I, that's why I didn't want to tell anybody that my son even drowned was because I was going to be judged as a mom. And my friends, another friend was like, don't turn on the TV because so many people were saying like, well, why wasn't she watching him or why this or why that? Like I'm already blaming myself for everything I did. I already have guilt for the way I healed and, or I used to, I, I actually don't anymore because I love and honor my story so much, but I, but that, that, I, that's the fear I had to get through. And with my book coming out, that's another step because it's so raw and so vulnerable, but I knew that I had to be totally honest with myself and with other people because somebody needs to hear it. Somebody needs to hear that it's okay. And that there's a point that you need to stop self-destructing so you can move forward in life. Oh my gosh. I love this so much. I, you have me in tears, honestly, I, because you're like my soul sister. I can, <laughs> I can relate to so much of what you're saying and nobody can appreciate how hard those days are unless they've been there. They exactly. just can't appreciate it. And that's, yeah. that's where our judgment comes from for heaven's sake. So we just, it's just a lack of understanding, right? It's a total lack of understanding. How did you, how did you overcome the the self blame that you experienced? Oh, that, you know, that's something that every so often I still feel creep up on me. And because the days that I'm having, a, you know, a hard day or, or whatever, the should-haves and the would-haves and the if-onlys are, are so loud sometimes. And I think the way that I was able to really, like, I literally would shake my head 
like I would literally physically have to like shake it off of me because I, it would be so, so much there. And it, I mean, when it comes up, like, it's just like that you almost like, I even feel myself like talking about it. I just want to crawl up in this little fetal position and just like, it's so painful because it, you don't, uh, and I know that you understand what, exactly what I'm saying. And it's, it's just, it's a process and it's forgiveness and it's forgiving yourself before anything else. Forgiving. I, I mean, I had to forgive myself for so many things and understand that I didn't do anything wrong. I wish I could have done something right, but you can't ever repeat the past. You can't ever, you have to just forgive yourself and accept it really. And just say like, this is my story. This is what happened. Now I have to do something with it. And I, I know that that's part of the reason why these people that come into my life that I help and heal is because now I get to see the bigger picture. I knew there was something that told me way long ago that there was a reason that was bigger than I knew very, really soon after it happened, like almost this moment of instantaneous, like I remember this little glitch that happened in my brain and I don't know really what it was. And it's weird that I think about it, <laughs> but I knew that it was for a purpose. And I believe that the, the way I truly got over the, or not got over it, but worked through this and still work through it is knowing and believing and trusting that this is this, all this happened for a purpose and having gratitude that not that I lost my child. I'm, I'm not grateful that I lost him, but I have found a way to find gratitude in the tragedy itself and the experience of that. Because without it, I would not be here today with what I'm doing. I mean, I, I might've done something awesome. I'm sure I would have found a way to like help people in some way, but not with the passion. There's no way that I could have this kind of passion for what I'm doing without that tragedy in my life. Hmm. Yes. I, I have no words. <laughs> I have no words. I am so grateful that you are so open and honest and real and willing to share your story. And I, I, I have an understanding of my own guilt that I carried for so long. And, and, but the reality is none of us get up in the morning and want this to happen. Like none of us, right. we just, there was never an intention to harm. Right. Ever. Yeah. And, and that's where that self forgiveness comes in. And then realizing that, and you know, not everybody feels that even a little bit in the beginning that the purpose or the, the passion that this can create in you it, it that is just part of the process and i think yeah. you've illustrated it beautifully and that there's this there's this just a bit just a position i'm not even saying that right but you know what i'm saying between the between the 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 purpose kind of showing itself and the the horror of what you're experiencing and the need to numb from that experience yeah. right and then exactly. eventually we're able to work through the darkness 
yeah. we're able to work through and we, we kind of come to ourselves and realize, okay, these behaviors that I'm exhibiting are happening because I'm in pain. Yeah, and, exactly. And I'm going to, I'm going to start dealing with the pain and let go of the behaviors. Yeah. And you know, the, one of the coolest things about when I, when I talk about my story and, and like when I think about, and my purpose develops and it expands as I, as I move forward. And one of my, one of my um, questions to myself was, what is it about my story, my book, my path that's different, that sets, not necessarily sets me apart, but adds to all these other wonderful people like, like you and, and so many people that I've met that are going through this and that are helping bring forth an understanding of, of grief and healing. And it's changed and it's, it's morphed into this, this beautiful thing that I realized that what I bring that is, is a piece of the puzzle that was maybe missing a little bit or needed more expansion on, I guess I should say that's a better way to say it, is that darkness, is that fact that I'm, years ago, I thought, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be healed. I'm going to, you know, not that I'm not ever going to be sad, but I'm going to be healed and I feel whole and I feel all of this stuff, which in and of itself is all true. And I know a lot of it's wording, but it wasn't until I accepted the fact that I wasn't going to ever truly be healed because this is going to be a lifelong journey and really diving into that darkness that I started to understand that that this is where I get to help people understand that it's okay to talk about the darkness, to feel the darkness, to be in the darkness and to understand that there will always be that part because us as angel moms, we live a whole different life than regular moms because we have children alive, not all of us, but a lot of us have children that are alive, that we celebrate, that we love. And then we also have this child that not only we try to celebrate and love still by doing other things like, you know, healing people or helping people through their journey, but that we also constantly, not constantly, but consistently or regularly grieve mm. or think about. And it, that so that to me I'm like it, it's it does put us in a, a different type of a category, but we all have our special piece in that puzzle where if we can all collaborate and work together and like doing this you know having me on your podcast and hopefully you'll come on mine and <laughs> we can, can talk about this stuff because we all have something beautiful to add about our story and it might trigger like you plus me might trigger another person to be like, Oh, I get it. Like I've had both of these experiences and this is my experience and adds to that. And this is how I'm going to be able to, to heal from that. But like I said, like, I don't, I love almost talking about the darkness more now than I do the light because the light's so easy to talk about because it's surface mm. the darkness goes a little bit deeper and it gets to the root of that, of, of what's really there. And then, you know, and that's where it really starts to grow from. And part of what I did when I was self-destructing was, you know, when I was in those states of intoxication and other things, um, I talked a lot about my pain. So even though I was hiding it and escaping from my reality, it brought so many things out. And 
I got a, I was able to write about because I mean, that's when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling creative. And I started writing again. And I started doing these things that were like, I got to get some of it out without being in complete pain and suffering while I was doing it. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. And you know, I think, I think the beauty of what you're sharing is that the darkness needs to be exposed. Yeah. Exactly. It needs to be exposed. It needs, we need to have understanding around that, that level of pain and darkness. Right. And I think that actually, if you're able to bring that darkness out and expose that and say, like, this is what I'm going through and, and talk about it, then it helps so you don't live there as long as you probably could or would if it was a, a secret. Cause I know mine was totally a secret. And the only thing that took me out of it, I knew that I had to get out of it at some point and I'm sure I would have found a way, but I had such a drastic, like when I went to Africa, that was like done. Like now we're moving forward. It was like the universe being like, Nope, no more. <laughs> like you got stuff to do. <laughs> but if I don't ever talk about it, then the people that are going through it, might last longer. I mean, I've, I've met people that are in that stage that don't ever want to talk about it, that, that gets so bad that if they didn't have anyone to relate to and, and they don't feel like they have anyone to relate to. So they stay there for years mm-hmm. and, and then they never truly recover from that until they find that way out. And sometimes the only way out is to getting someone saying, I totally get it. I was there. Mm-hmm. I was down there and I, I, I'm here for you when you're ready. And sometimes that's all they need to be like, okay, I just need a friend right now. I just need somebody to, to understand that it's okay that I'm healing in the way that I'm doing, even if it feels wrong. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like it, it, when I, when I think of that darkness and I think of that secrecy, it kind of goes back to shame. We've, we've created this, this bunker of shame. Oh, for sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. I love your diagram that you have um, that, that I saw when you were giving your speech because it, it does those layers. And I was like, yep, I see that. And I see that. <laughs> and then it, it, it's not, and that's the other thing about grief. And I think you touched about on this too, when you were giving your speech is that like, it's not just, it's not a like line. Okay. Now you're going to feel angry. Now you're going to feel sad. Now you're going to accept. Now you're going, it is a continual process as you go along and tomorrow you might still feel angry, (laughs) but that happened. And the next day you might be totally accepting and acknowledge and, and fine. And then the next day you might feel, you know, that, that denial again, even Mm -hmm. because it's like, did that really, did that really happen? Like, has the last 15 years of my life really been like this? <laughs> yeah. Because you, know? you just, it's just so not the way it should be or not the way you ever pictured it when you were having this baby in the first place. Right. Right. How long did you stay in that, in that darkness and that numbing place? Uh, it was three months um, pretty solid, but I, I say I only partied on weekends, which started on Thursday and ended on Monday. (laughs) So basically it was opposite, but, um, it was three months and then I went to Africa and I didn't do anything. Um, really, I mean, I guess my escape because I was pretty focused, I was in the hospital healing and that was 
that was my escape in a way. So mm-hmm. that's how yeah, I, I was able to do that. And I mean, I had some guys that I would hang out with and I made some friends and I would go out with them, but um, they were, there wasn't any like substance abuse or anything like that that was happening. Um, and then when I came home, I fell back into the rut for a little while and then I came out of it again and then I fell back into it a little, like it was kind of this like ongoing process to be completely done and that lasted for a few years but it it wasn't like each time it got a little shorter and a little shorter and a little shorter that it would happen you know or it would be random you know and and it wasn't like something consistently like okay Thursday's here let's you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was just like oh that's you know but but it, it was um it was definitely a process yeah and that's that's exactly right it's it's just it's this recognition, it's this adjusting, recognition, adjusting, recognition, adjust. I mean, it's just this continuous process of learning to live and to, and to feel the pain. Yep. You know, yeah. just learning to do that so that you can exactly. come on the other side where you're able to feel not only the pain, but you're able to feel happiness. You're able to feel right. joy. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, you mentioned, um, you kind of hinted at foundations and some other projects that you're doing. So tell us about all the projects you have going on. All right. Well, my, my most, uh, well, my biggest accomplishment of my life is about to happen and that's my book. And I've been writing it since, you know, for 15 years, really since a little over now, since my son passed away. And because I never felt like the journey was over. So it was hard to like, end of book when it's not really ever ending. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, and that's, um, then I realized last year I was like, I got to finish this book. Like this has to happen. So my book is called finding 40, a mother's walk with grief and it's coming out. We're having a launch party for it on May 16th and it's just in the final editing processes, but it will be available on Amazon a little bit before that. Um, just because I'm, I'm, doing crazy stuff in school and, and my, I can't have a party right now. And with, you know, our coronavirus and everything, we don't, (laughs) (laughs) probably good not to plan a party tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so there's that and it's all based, um, so it's all the proceeds of my book will be going to my foundation that I have. And my foundation is called rainy days foundation. And I help kids with congenital heart disease. And I do that because when I first started my foundation, I thought I would be working with people going through trauma and tragedy and who have lost children and all this stuff because that's my expertise. And, um, but then I kept getting these people like Christina that were in the hospital and, and mostly it was moms with kids, like my either friends with kids or people that I knew that had kids and that were needing support through their journey to, to help fight for their lives. And, and that was like, well, maybe I'm here to help people through trauma and tragedy. And so, you know, I kind of shifted a little bit um, to that. And then I met a family whose son was the same age as my youngest son right now, um, who was going in for a heart transplant. Well, he had a heart failure. And so he needed a heart transplant. And I was able to be with him through his journey and really get to know the family and then other families that were um, there in the, the heart unit up at Primary Children's. And it was such 
uh, like it was a profound experience that happened when all of a sudden I realized, I mean, obviously for a child to get a heart transplant, another child has to die. And it's a beautiful thing to see that side of it where they get the heart and they get all of these things, you know, organs or whatever, and because they get to live. And I was like, I remember talking to his family and I'm like, just make sure that you honor. And I know that they always do, but it was just like, so like hit me, honor this family because they will suffer for the rest of their lives. And these kids that get heart transplants also have a journey ahead of them that will never end. They're always going to be going on this journey because every time there's a sniffle, every time, you know, it's like the, the life that we're experiencing right now with this coronavirus is their everyday life. Mm -hmm. If somebody sneezes, if somebody like, they're always like, Oh my gosh, like stay away because this could be life threatening for my child. And they do get better and um, you know, they get stronger and then they don't have anything. It's not as fearful, but there's always that back of your mind thought. The reason why I think that this is that I chose to start doing this is because I actually needed to have this experience of the other side in order to heal because I never healed from the fact that my son donated his heart valves to save another child's life. Mm. Because when I got that letter saying that I that it happened, I was like, oh great. And and that's all like I didn't know how to react. I didn't know how to respond. I felt guilty about the feelings that I had. Um, like, why didn't my child live? Like, why can't my child be the one that lives? Those types of feelings. Um, and I was like, but this is a beautiful way that I get to see the other side. And I get to experience that. And I now get to honor this child who's passed in a way that keeps these these kids alive, you know? And And it came full circle for me. And... I got so involved with them that now like rainy days foundation is what it, it, it helps kids with congenital heart disease and their families because I can't see any other way to honor my son. I, I mean, it, it's keeping him alive through and these other children alive through these experiences. And so, and, and now the moms are like, you think you're going to leave us or change your foundation to anything else? You've got to be kidding me. (laughs) (laughs) No, we need you. We love you. And it's, it's great. And they, they all like, it's really cool because while their kids are in the hospital, a number of them have said, you know, I feel like I know your son. I feel like he's been here with us. Mm. And so, and, and I don't do anything super profound that I feel you know, I, I'm there for them. I talk to them, I reach out and, and I'm, you know, I take little things to them and I just make, I bring that, that light and that hope and that joy into this world of, of tragedy and trauma for them right now. I mean, they're going to experience PTSD and they're going to experience all these hard things and guilt and all of the other things, but I get to still honor them and share their stories and be a part of their world. I, I'm like the adopted aunt in the heart unit. <laughs> <laughs> And it's, it's really cool to like bring that together and to see that. And, you know, it's still in the, and it's still small, but it's so cool how it's creating a family. And that's one of the things that I'm so good at. And as I've talked about my friends, like my friends aren't friends, like normal people have friends. I feel like my friends are my family. And so I've created that in my own world since I was a little girl. And now I'm creating it in a bigger way that doesn't always even have to do with me. 
but just keeping them connected and being that center point of like, hey, let's go do an activity or let's have this little event. Let's bring, you know, those who can come together. And, you know, and that's just something that that I absolutely love and they need because sometimes they feel so alone, just like we do in our grief. Like we all need somebody. I agree. And Shalise, I think it's just absolutely beautiful the way that you recognize and that you've been able to see how your journey has evolved and the different pieces and how each, each little piece has been a part of your healing process. Every single piece of it. And as soon as I think I need to put a stop on it, something else happens where I'm like, okay, fine. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll keep going. And it's just grown. And, and now it's cool because I get to do, um, I'm, I do, I've been doing a, a, like a YouTube channel, but now my podcast is interviewing people that are making a difference in the community as well. And we all have something to celebrate in us that we're doing to make a difference. And so they get to talk about their little things that, or big things or whatever it is that they do that is trying to bring around hope and light and joy to this world that there's so much sadness and chaos in. And it's, it's really just so refreshing to hear other people talk about their stories and hopefully inspire others as well to, you know, whether it's art or, you know, you're in your business or whatever, leadership, whatever it is that's inspiring people to just be good people to each other. So what would you say to the person that's listening right now who is still in that place of just really, really deep, dark pain? I would tell them that it's okay. I would tell them to keep breathing. And and I would also tell them to keep feeling it until they're through to the next layer. And I mean, it's an onion, you know, I mean, every layer you're going to cry <laughs> and, and it's going to hurt, but there's always, there's always light at the end of, of that feeling of that emotion. And if you can get it out and bring back in and, and not try to just get rid of it, but try to replace it with good and gratitude and just have gratitude and think about all the things that you can do and you can control. And, all the things that you do have in your life. Even if it's just like, I have toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big one right now. (laughs) That's a big one right now. But, and also remember it's okay to laugh and it's okay to have fun. And cause that laughter is just as healing as tears sometimes all the time. Actually, if you can make it, if you can laugh at something, it's, just as healing. So I, to- I, I, I completely agree with, with that. So tell us where we can find you. I have a website. It's www.shalisetalks.com. And my rainy days website is rainydaysfoundation.com. And that's, those are the best ways you can contact me there or send me an email. Shalise at rainydaysfoundation.org. Okay. And Shalise is C-H-A-L-E-S-E. Yep, that's correct. Okay. And all of that will be in our show notes. So you can find it there. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for being the light that you are, for writing a book, for, for putting things out there in the world that, that, that provides that, that hope and that light and that joy. Thank you.
Well, thank you so much for allowing me to share it. And I'm so grateful that we met. I am too. There's no accidents. I completely, (laughs) utterly agree with that. Yep. (laughs) Completely. Thank you so much, Shalise. All right. Thank you. As I mentioned before, I was so grateful to Shalise for for being on this and for doing this interview. I just, I love her words. I love her thoughts about all of this. And I'm, I'm grateful for people like Shalise and the other guests that I've had on the show who share their journey and share their heart with us. And it is good. It is really good to hear, hear those words of hope and also really, really, really recognize the darkness before the hope really look at, it's not easy. Grief is not easy. It is a, it is a season, but it is hard. I'm excited that I am able now to offer you a webinar once a month. The next one will be on April 7th and you can get more information and register for that. The link again is in the show notes. This webinar series is all about healing body, mind, and spirit. It's about understanding what we're dealing with and understanding, getting that information about like, what is the next little step? Just like we talked about on this interview, we always need to be looking for that next little step to be okay where we're at, but also to be looking for that next step of healing so that we can experience healing so our families can experience healing. Just, I'm just really grateful to be able to offer that to you. So again, you can find that link in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. Have a fabulous week. Remember, I believe in you. Love you. Bye.